0: Either you trust us or you don't trust us. If you trust us, be patient. At times, it may appear we're not being fair to you. But you show me cases where we have not been fair to people for, let's say, five years, seven years. Show me cases. Look around the organization. See people. See how they have done. And see if we have been unfair to people over a medium to long-term period. Sometimes, in the short term, life is never going to be 100% fair. We may not be able to identify everybody. We may not be able to be fair to everyone in the short term. That's why I say, before five years, we consider you a new journey. Before five years are over. So, be patient.
1: It's 2023. The business of online comparison platforms seems old-fashioned. Sure, people may land upon them via search engines, but few would rarely transact through them. And if the underlying products being compared are as high-value and life-altering as insurance, then doubly so. Right? Wrong. Policy Bazaar, not just India's, but the world's largest insurance comparison and transaction platform, proves that. I'm Rohan Dharmu your host, and welcome back to another episode of First Principles. Policy Bazaar started out in 2008 and is today publicly listed. It's the largest in its space by far. Many of the things it does or how it does don't fit into easy patterns that we've been used to. For instance, the fact that employees making phone calls to prospective customers is at the core of their business. In an era where we are told phone calls and call centers are a relic of the past. I brought this up many times in my conversation today with Yashish Dahiya, the co-founder and group CEO of Policy Bazaar. He attributes many such decisions to Policy Bazaar being fundamentally first principles driven. Yashish is incredibly energetic and driven. He's a serious sportsman and triathlete. He's also as straight talking and candid as they come. We cover a lot of ground in our conversation. Why he calls Policy Bazaar an education platform and not a comparison one. How Policy Bazaar stumbled on the call center model and how it became one of its strongest differentiators. Why founders and companies need to think really hard about their right to win. Why anyone who spent less than five years at Policy Bazaar is still considered fresh. How he spots and grooms talent and the importance of physical endurance and excellence. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And if you've got a few minutes, please take the listener survey at theken.typeform.com slash FPSurvey to help shape the future of this podcast directly. The exact link is mentioned in the show notes too, in case you would prefer to just click. Hi, Ashish. Uh, I want to start with this apocryphal story I've heard of you uh, from various people much before I met you for the first time, which is the story of when you were studying at IIT Delhi and you were staying in Noida and if you couldn't find transportation back home, there have been times when you decide to just run from IIT Delhi to Noida which is probably what, like 25-30 kilometers?
0: It was about 22 kilometers. But uh, yeah, it's very true. It was not a... It was actually more often uh, than uh, your words suggest. Uh, And it was a very practical thing. Yeah, It was just, there used to be uh, a bus. So I had to come out of my house, walk to the bus stand, then take the bus to Central Secretariat, which is the middle of Delhi, and then change bus there, and then take the next bus, which would come to IIT Delhi Gate. And then from IIT Delhi Gate, I would have to walk to my hostel, which was a walk of about two kilometers from IIT Delhi Gate to my hostel. Uh, and this whole process would take me about two hours. Right? Now, if you appreciate, I was a runner and a 22-kilometer run used to be about 1 hour, 30, 1 hour, 40 minutes. I was a good runner. So, it was actually quicker. Plus, in a day, I had to do a run or in a week, I had to do a certain number of runs. Just generally, because I used to always do that. So it was one item ticked off the off the list. Uh, and I've, I've been a practical person in terms of, you know, how do I manage my luggage and all. Like even today, for example, I, don't, I never take my swimming trunks or my swimming kit out of my
1: car. And because you never know when you may need to swim.
0: No, because that- why would I bother picking it up when I have to go for a swim? And I just dry it in the car. Now, I know for some people that could be disgusting. Uh, for me, it's just a practical thing. So I I find it weird when, you know, the whole family is rushing about trying to get their stuff together. And I'm like, what are we even waiting for? So I'm, even when I'm traveling, like you may you may know that like I, I live in the UK and I live here. I don't carry clothes across the two places. I just go with my handbag because I have a set of clothes there and I have a set of clothes here and I need very few. But But that's... I, I just think, as I think through life, I'm usually a practical decision maker. It's not made out of any bravado that I'm a great runner and anything of that sort. It is just a practical decision. And then I also had an Atlas Pro 10 that time, which a cycle. It will take me 35 minutes or so to come on the cycle. So, cycle. so every weekend, it would either be a run or a cycle. I would never go by the bus and I didn't have any other mode of transport. Now, but it was impractical to go by the bus. You know, you're going through Delhi heat. Uh, you know, drenched along with, in packed like sardines in a bus. Why, why would you do that? Right? Uh, and it was a beautiful run or cycle along Jamia Millia, Suraj Kund. It was a beautiful place here. Which otherwise, I would never see, right? Uh, if I went by the bus. So, it was a very practical thing. It wasn't anything not because I thought I was unique or anything of that sort.
1: Thank you for clearing that. <laughs> uh, from that, I want to jump to Policy Bazaar directly. Um, I'd met Sanjeev Bhikchandani a couple of days ago. And he told me that the first time uh, when you had approached him for an investment, your pitch was, Sanjeev, you're probably paying 60% more for your car premium. And, and Sanjeev was like, it's impossible. How do you know that? And then you just proceeded to essentially like, you know, prove to him how it was like, ended up showing him 40% off or 50% off. Uh, Back then, what did you think the opportunity was for Policy Bazaar? And how has that scaled to the opportunity that you see today for Policy Bazaar?
0: So when I went, Sanjeev, I did not understand health insurance and life insurance at all.
1: Uh,
0: Today, Policy Bazaar 90% 90% of our value lies in health insurance and life insurance, not in motor insurance.
1: So uh, at that time, I was coming from... By value, you mean the premiums that you collect? Or I mean, the opportunity, the, that I you mean
0: the opportunity from premium perspective. Also, 75% of our premiums, actually a little more than that, are from health and life. And I did not even know the health and life business at that stage. I did not even know that how health insurance policies are, how they are constructed. I had no clue. So I was coming from a very simple thought process that uh, in motor insurance, comparison is important. And I was coming from a European context where, uh, you know, comparison was a big part of the market. However, my thinking transformed quite a bit in the one year after I met Sanjeev. And actually that is when Policy Bazaar, see today Policy Bazaar is a unique platform across the world. But the germination of all of that actually happened in that one year. Not before that. Uh, And and Sanjeev agreed to invest on just the motor story. And today also, whenever we discuss, Sanjeev almost always speaks about the motor story. Uh, What I understood as time progressed is that motor was a very small part of... uh, So in in the UK, for example, which is a much smaller country, there are about 32 million cars. Right? Uh, In India at that time, there were about 10 million cars, today they may be 15-20 million, but I'm saying much smaller than a country which is much, which is which has a population of only 60 million people. And uh, the second part was the value of the cars in India is about half to one third of the value of the cars there, because mostly we have Suzuki and Hyundai's uh, out there, the standard, you know, car would be not Suzuki and Hyundai. Suzuki and Hyundai I don't think will be even 10% of the cars there, right? So I think one got to a conclusion that very quickly, because I had another side effect to me, which was that my dad was in the army and I had lived in the UK. So I had seen social security everywhere. And so it was, uh, and I'm a very long-term thinking person. So it was very scary for me
1: to live without social security. Uh, and that was a big, big, you know. So, so what was this? What happened in this one year when you said that I, after meeting Sanjeev- So. Uh, do appreciate that I was pretty much for the first time living in India.
0: Uh, I had not lived much here, so I did not underst- I did not know the social security aspect very well. So two things happened. One is I realized that this country is in dire need of life insurance and health insurance because if a person expires or a person falls sick, they actually have no financial recourse, right?
1: Uh, I think that's the falling sick is the single biggest contributor to families falling under the poverty line in India. Yeah. And and death and disability. And I have lots and lots of stories in the sense, uh, I had
0: one of my mother's brothers. So most of us have gone to the army. And so we don't know the concept of not having social security. Because till the end of life, one is covered by a pension and a health cover and everything. Uh, this gentleman could not join the army. Because while he had gotten through to the NDA, uh, in that interim phase, before he was supposed to join, he was jumping over the holy, holy fire, you know, the holy key fire. And in that his leg got burnt, which disqualified him from joining the army. And so then he joined the civil. And what you realized is over time, uh, not having that social security, not having that safety net, uh, kept bringing poverty to him one incident after another. And we socially moved very, very apart. Despite the fact that his salary was not very different from what he would have received in the army, right? Uh, But just other events and not having social security. So I think uh, I I do realize the need for social security a little more uh, uh, clearly than other people. And I felt that the market just did not have that. So education on that and selling those products was the very The second thing that happened is I went through my father's policies. Uh, This is the 2008 year. And uh, when I met Sanjeev, the crash had not happened. And by the time Sanjeev had invested, the crash had happened. So, InfoAge's own share price was down by, I think, about 70% in that phase. Uh, and I think it's only Sanjeev who invested. Otherwise, people would not have kept to their word. But that's a side story. The, the real story in this time was, I, my father, who had been getting 7% returns every year through his savings plans, which were, you know, market-linked at that time, which he didn't have any clue of. Uh, but he, was, he used to get 7% return every year while the market was growing 70% every year. From 2003 to 2008, the market grew almost 70% every year. Now in 2008, the market fell to about 40% of its value. And when that happened, my father's investments fell to 25% of their value because they lost. He was also paying costs. And so it was a very enlightening experience for me. And I'm not saying anything good or bad out of this. But the experience was me telling my father that look, These are market-linked plans, which he did not know about and then telling him that, look, um, uh, the person who sold these to you made so much money from you, he could not believe that number because he had invested about 20 lakh rupees. And so I explained to him that the person has made between 5 to 9 lakh rupees from you. He said that's impossible
1: so something i said which was like a protection kind of plan. no 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 it's
0: not protection at all okay he did not even know he was buying insurance he thought he was buying savings because he used to invest in fds mm-hmm. he said yaar tax this is like fd this is a great plan that's i'm just telling you the exact story so we invited the agent over back home and i made the agent sit down in front of my father because he wouldn't believe me because he said this guy is that he studied abroad he doesn't have a clue what's going on he trying to educate me I am the guy who really knows the market here and I cannot be fooled. It wasn't about whether it's a good product or a bad product. But it was not according to his understanding. So when I made the person sit down, that person admitted that yes, the minimum he made from my father was about 5 lakh rupees. When he made, when he made that statement, I still remember that day, uh, my dad is, has been a commando dagger in the Indian Army. He's he's you know uh, he's, yeah He has his own capabilities. That guy was having tea at that time. He just said, one thing, chai rakho, aur ghar se bahar jau. And I have not seen him that angry, kind of, ever, right? Because he, he, a, this is the person who's got very hard-earned money, like all of us, uh, who had just given five lakhs to somebody for things that he did not understand at all, and he was totally missold. And he said, "You, you should do something about this. You need to educate people." And so our first campaign was "Ullu Madbaru. But when we did that campaign, we got a lot of pushback from the industry that you cannot be negative. And since then, we've never had a negative campaign. We've always said, "Yeah, let's focus on our health insurance and term insurance. And, and doing the right some thing. Of the, some of the uh, And you know, slowly, slowly, the industry will automatically move towards positive. Let's not focus on all the mis-selling and all the bad communication that happens in the industry. Because that's not something we want to waste our time on. We can't, we can't change everything in the industry overnight.
1: Got it. Policy Bazaar is a listed company. It's been around for, everyone knows it. But still, I'd like, like you to explain to me in a line or two, what is Policy Bazaar? Policy Bazaar has, is today, it is different
0: from what, how it started, is today an educator to the consumer on the need for protection against death, disease, and disability. Okay, so if you have death, disease, and disability, there's a financial impact. Policy Bazaar educates you on how to, how to make sure that financial impact is taken care of.
1: It's curious you use the word educator because you're not a university, right? At the end of the day, we've spent
0: 2,000 crore rupees running television commercials saying health insurance, life insurance is a best for you. I don't know how else to call myself. That's my biggest expenditure till date. And my biggest loss as well. And that's the brand policy bazaar. That's what it stands for. It, by the way, in the last five years, About 85% of of my advertising has been on those two lines alone. That you must buy more health insurance, you must buy more life insurance. If you speak to me anytime, at least 70% of the time I will spend on explaining just this one concept to you. So how do I call myself anything else but that? And how do you make money? We make money whenever you purchase the health insurance or life insurance. We get paid a certain amount by the insurance company.
1: You said earlier in the conversation that we are the largest of our kind globally. And that is true. I don't think there is anyone in any country around the world who operates at the scale that you do. Yeah, and and I'm
0: not saying number one or largest
1: in terms of there is somebody else. I don't even know who else could even be a comparable. That that was my point. And because we live in a world where people are always looking to pattern match. They're looking at, in China, this exists. In the US, this exists. And they're trying to fit an indian company so does this act as a as a barrier when you're trying to explain to someone that we are the largest at what we do from india and there is no one else don't people ask you how come this See, we are we're a bit we are a bit first principles oriented
0: uh we haven't done this because there was a large market uh we haven't done this because there wasn't termejoras did not exist when we started right uh But just first principles-oriented, right? So, when you're first principles-oriented, sometimes you end up doing things which haven't been done before. But let me explain to you in a nutshell, the problem of the insurance industry. A customer pays a premium. At that time, a distributor is paid. And at that time, an insurance company receives a premium. So, both of these are right now in the positive. Then a customer has a claim. When he has a claim, the customer is in the positive and the insurance company is in the negative. So in the beginning, the customer is in the negative. So it's a negative decision for the customer upfront. There's no upfront benefit that the customer receives. There is no upfront cost for the insurance company except for the distribution really. And creating a product and all that stuff doesn't cost so much. And for the distributor, he also gets paid. So very lopsided interests the distributor and the insurance company both make money up front and the customer loses money. Hopefully, in the future, the customer has the potential of making a lot of money. As they call it, one is to hundred times money. So, he may have paid one rupee and he, make, he may make hundred rupees. At that time, the company will lose hundred rupees. So, extremely lopsided interests. If you think about it, the best thing for the insurance company is I collect premium from people and I never pay claims. The best thing for the customer is he pays a premium when he's 100% sure he's going to claim. Right? So totally conflicted interests. Now in this situation, a good long term intermediary will be one who gets the right basically you're selling a promise and that promise better be right or the right terms or the right understanding. So you have to have very good disclosure from the customer and you have to have very good disclosure from the supplier. The reason I'm trying to explain this is, the way profits get made in the insurance industry, and I have, I have met hundreds of decision makers, not just in India, across the world, is they try to make the profit on day one itself, guaranteed. We have this concept of VNB. Which is, what is the profit you have made on your business? What is the profit potential? So, business may run 30 years, but you've calculated... What's what's V&B? It's basically the value of the policy that you have sold. So, we have this habit of almost calculating our profitability because of actuaries, because of various things, on sort of day one itself. Right? And what that lends itself to is selling products where you can almost know you've made money on day one. How How does that happen? If you think about the insurance industry, how does that happen? You sell a product where whatever you have paid to the distributor is taken from the customer. Or a savings product mostly. Right? If the customer cancels this, there will be surrender charges, etc, etc, etc. So you will almost always make money. So there is almost no risk. Now you're getting into the game of risk. Most parts of the industry would not even want to go to the side of risk. Because health insurance and life insurance, there are actually claims that need to be paid. And there the conflict starts coming between. So the industry somewhere, for the smartest people in the industry, I'm talking about big CEOs, people who've run the industry for 20 years, 30 years, they would almost say, let's not waste time. Let's We know how money is made, let's make money. You know, let this kid shout around and waste his time and one day he will die because... Essentially, he's trying the impossible. Who's this kid? Let's say, let's say me. Okay. I believe this conflict can't exist forever. You have to solve for this.
1: Right. You have to educate the customer. You you mean that this conflict will always, Oh, you're talking about the conflict where they do not want to confront risk. I'm I'm saying, I'm not talking about any one individual,
0: in general, the industry. Right. And, And time teaches you things that don't work and things that work. Right. So it's a very misunderstood industry. And risk creates claims and you don't want to sell products which have lots of claims. And you don't want to sell products where there's a chance that claims can be very high because you've somehow misunderstood the customer. It's a very hard thing for me to understand, okay, this is Rohan in front of me. There are 100 Rohins. Their chance of claiming is so much. I have to promise him lifelong renewability on health. I don't know what diseases are going to appear, what patterns. It's a complex subject, Right. And then basis that my profitability will determine. Very complicated subject. So it's not for the faint-hearted, far more complicated than lending. In lending, we all worry about not giving loans to people who will not repay. But in insurance, that thinking of somehow getting a fraudulent customer is not that deep as an industry. You know, you would have interviewed hundreds of people in the industry. Every I promise you, every time you talk about to somebody about lending, the big thing, the biggest topic would be collections and credit quality. I don't know if you interact with insurance people, if you get the same concept, that the biggest concept in the insurance industry is actually de- de- disclosure and claims. I think you would get things like, let's simplify the product, let's somehow get it sold, let's somehow attach the product, let's get it uh, embedded insurance. You would you would have heard a lot of these words.
1: So what you're essentially saying is that the industry largely focuses on growth and selling more, rather than sales the profile of sales customers. and
0: profitability,
1: than is the, the way to mm-hmm. is the
0: way to make money in insurance, right? Because eventually we are all supposed to make money, so that's that's great. What someone's trying to do is say what is right for the consumer. Can we actually educate? It's a very hard thing because in this industry, the surprising thing is at least in the short term, the more you educate the customer, it actually works against you in the short term. Because why is that? <laughs> on the savings products, if you educate the customer too much. They about will not, surrender charges, etc, etc. They will not buy that. They may account. not buy. I remember long, long ago, one day, somebody from one large company came to me and said, we want to hold a savings insurance day where we will put all the plans out there and explain every part of it so that there's a lot of take up of consumers. I I've folded my hands in front of them. Don't do this. You'll actually be destroying the industry. So, education sometimes can work against sales. At least in the short term. right? Selling term insurance is not easy. Telling somebody, your family will
1: get paid once you are dead. And that goes against the very Indian and Asian ethos of not wanting to confront that you may be there. Or why should I pay someone money when I'm not getting anything in return? Exactly. So these are hard problems to solve.
0: So I sometimes say that in the insurance industry, sometimes the consumer is his own biggest
1: enemy. And thus education is your biggest thus, Education
0: is the biggest bet. You educate a lot. But at the same time, you don't allow customers to miscommunicate to you. You don't allow fraudsters. It's a very tough thing. you know, 2%, 3% fraudsters. We've spent what? About 25 minutes or so talking. Just think of one thing. I might have spent 18 minutes of that talking about risk and education.
1: You interact with people in the insurance
0: industry and tell me when you find that.
1: Why is that? Like, let me take you up on that, right? Because you're talking about Because you asked
0: me, why is Policy Bazaar unique?
1: No, I get that. I'm saying that. That's the reason. Does it not stand to reason that for an insurance company, it's even more important to understand. I'll explain. I'll explain. See, it's a low trust category. In this, what you actually
0: want is a high fidelity, high trust product. People very loosely say we should increase confidence. Now, what is increasing confidence? Uh, Especially when the customer is also, let's say 5% of customers are out there to get the 1 is 200 benefit, okay? Now if 5% of customers, let's say even 1% of customers take the 1 is 200 benefit, your entire collections are wiped out, obviously, because if 1% takes 100% and it's 1% of customers, so 1% fraudsters can destroy this industry, right? I would even go to the saying, even in lending 1% fraudsters, we we, we work with 5% NPA, right? The, insurance, the, the lending industry is okay to work with 5% NPA, right? The insurance industry cannot work with 5% fraudsters. Even 1% fraudsters can destroy the industry. So you have to be that precise in catching it. And that's a very hard thing to do for us and for the insurance industry. And my view is, I have seen very few focus on it or
1: be worried about it as much as they need to be. But that's my question. Why? Why do you think so? <laughs> Let me share one more thing with you. Actually, one
0: very large insurance company CEO said it in a very good way. He was a very nice person. He said, By the time the claims on my life insurance policies come, I won't be the CEO. Yeah, I was just about
1: to say that. It's not my problem. Yeah. Now, please don't take that wrongly. Yeah, I get it. But, but if something is but going today, to happen today. But today, what matters is what sales I get. The claims will probably come at a later stage. So it's misaligned incentives. Short term. I, I I wouldn't go there. Yeah, I wouldn't go there. but like, how do we really solve it, right? If something and, and the cost inertia. is paid ten years there's from now. There's inertia
0: and change. There's uh, you know uh, uh, there is time lags. Uh, and, and who would stop at making money? Neither would I. Right. So I'm not saying that we are holier than thou. It's just I'm troubled by something which is so obvious
1: that I don't find as many people troubled by. that's all that's all one is and and what are uh, what is policy was are uh, doing to so we had a we had a fraud. we had a kind of
0: four hour day where we ran out of time uh where all we did was we talked to uh we explained what we are doing to control fraud it's really that simple okay I'll give you an example of what kind of fraud actually happens in the insurance industry you want basic basic you'll be surprised so yesterday somebody told me somebody was trying to buy a policy for someone add They actually had a video and in the video there was a person who was dead and you could tell the person was dead. He was propped up against the car. So that's the basic level of frauds people try. And every time, I'll give you another example. We started selling savings products. People started paying 3,000 rupee premium per month and doing frauds. Now we've managed to control everything up to 5,000 rupees. Somebody started coming and paying 8,000 rupees. So these are organized fraud groups. There is no way to stop them entirely. The whole idea is you have to keep moving one step ahead of the game. And make sure your particular channel is harder to break than others. So to be clear, uh, Yashish, And we we spend a huge amount of time on that. Whether it's through technology, whether it's through people, uh, whether it's through verifiable processes, whether it's through multiple checks, so very simple things, right? The person who bought the policy, their voice is consistent because we we usually sell a policy over or a health or life policy over six, seven periods. Somebody would get very excited if people started buying instantly. We get very worried. So, sudden increase in conversion rates in a particular city is a warning signal for us. So, if I suddenly in Bhivani get, where I get 50 visitors, I suddenly get eight sales. It's a big, big alarm bell for me. You, you appreciate, right? Because that means something is happening. so you bike
1: too quickly. I must interrupt you here to just clarify one thing. Policy Bazaar is a platform. Yeah. And the common understanding of how the platform operates is that people come to Policy Bazaar and they become leads, which you pass on to insurance companies. So to a layperson, it does not look like, why are you doing this fraud analysis? Because isn't that the job of the insurance company? So it no, looks no, no. like you are doing… A no, no, lot of no. You work.
0: both look… We ha- anybody who interacts with the consumer is the first line of defense against fraud. If anybody believes that is not the case and the person who's interacting with the consumer is a dumb, you know, it's just basically a dumb terminal. I think it's, I think it's very, very shallow understanding. Right? But that's obvious, right? Who else will defend? You are interacting with me, you can look me in the eye right now. You can tell whether, I, whether there is, you know, we all have those pattern matching and various things in our own brains filtered over years. We can tell whether somebody's passionate, whether somebody is, there's,
1: there's a lot of stuff we can do. We are the first line of defense. When we meet somebody, we can tell what kind of a person they are. And you do this in order to make sure that the people who are buying through Policy Bazaar are genuine. Let me tell you why I selfishly do
0: it. My company's horizon and me being the largest individual shareholder of this company. is longer than the company than the, than the person who's buying the policy he may have a 5 year 10 year horizon i probably have a 20 year horizon so i want policy Wizard to be here 20 years from now also if i don't differentiate my platform versus other channels on quality it's bad for me i'm i'm not even worried about the so if i don't make profits for my partners that cannot be a good thing for me long term today i can make money I tell my partners, making money from you today is, is one piece of the activity, but that's not the main part. The main part is whether I'm going to be making money from you 20 years from now or not. And that gives me strength. Right? Let me kind of, if there was one thing I could do, I would set up a reinsurance company. But what does that tell you about me? That I think risk we have an understanding of risk which is now deep enough that we want to embed ourselves deeper into that and make calls on our books which we don't understand the rest of the market as well because i believe i believe today lots of channels do not focus as much on this area and the thinking that the channel is not responsible see till late even from an extent the regulation till still late used to say The channel cannot be penalized for claims. Right? That's my question to you. My point is, uh, it logically doesn't seem right to me. Logically, logically thinking, how can the person who's interacting with the consumer not be responsible for the quality of the customers?
1: In the offline world, that would be equivalent of saying the broker who sold a policy should not be held responsible. We don't say that. Yeah, but the point is, come on. I get it. But uh, just to clarify, your point about Wanting to set up or uh, a reinsurance thing. Reinsurance being essentially the place where insurers go and insure their no, own. It risk. is.
0: It is. It is the one that finally carries the biggest risks, right? So if you have a life insurance policy, seventy to ninety percent of the risk lies with reinsurers, and you need reinsurance capacity
1: to be able to write a lot of business. Right. and reinsurers are sort of paid premium by the insurers by the insurers yeah so it's a, a, a you know eventually everybody
0: at some level is a distributor and the reinsurers will have bigger reinsurers behind them so my point is because we understand the our risk quite our risk quite well not the market risk we believe there's a possibility there that uh reinsurers should start differentiating prices and features for those products and I also believe a lot of innovation can happen at the at the process end, which if a reinsurer had better visibility on, they could price better. And that's a good thing for the market, it will, it is actually a change which will make the market grow. But if you notice, I have not yet focused on simplification of products, speed of products, because you know what, that in many cases opens up to, see, to sell insurance, you have to be able to marry a couple of things. You have to not miss sell. And especially as you go to less uh, wealthy people, right? You should be not allowed to miss sell even more because they don't have the ability to understand, you know, uh, richer people can understand better or or more financially well off people can understand hopefully better. Uh, so that's that's one part. So you have to stop misselling. You have to make sure the disclosure is very high level because without disclosure, you'll get hammered. Again, the same thing, the, the weaker you go, into society, the level of disclosure increases, the problem of disclosure increases because the person is more and more desperate. Remember this guy is giving you 20,000 rupees, 2,000 rupees, 200 rupees. He, he wants it back here. And if he can get hundred times back, he's desperate to get it back. So he's going to try He's going to try stuff, right? And you got to protect yourself against it because you can't allow him to try stuff. Right? And so the point is that the lower in the segment, you go, in, this is a part that's not very well understood by people, but actually the lower you go into the segments, it, this problem tends to become a more a, amplified a, a more amplified problem and so people talking about bottom of the pyramid sometimes are smoking they're not understanding the real issue right let me let me give you a very okay the third thing is cost of delivery now remember i came to that last because that you can you can only solve for that when you solve the other two because the cost of distribution and insurance is about over the lifetime of the policy on average is about 4 5% but the cost of claims is 75 80% over the lifetime of the policy, right? So that's the problem we've got to solve, not the 4-5%,
1: right?
0: Now, people point out towards various kind of things. Somebody tells me there's a company called Bima that sells one rupee policies. I'm not going to comment on any one company, but the point is, all over the world, look at all these policies, all these embedded policies, etc, etc. Just calculate what is the actual claim payout to the customer from all of them combined across the world. I can give you the answer, it'll be about 10%. Your point being that… My point being that neither help help to the consumer, they're only helpful to the person, the product who, creator. The, uh, the, the, no, the, the guy who has the embedded platform. Like if it's an Alibaba or somebody, they they would probably make money.
1: They What's a, an ideal number uh, claims ratio for a product? According to me, a
0: good claims ratio in a product is about 70%. Because that tells you that, okay, individually, I should, uh, the risk is too much for me. So, I should have some consolidation of risk between hundreds of people. And yes, they should have something left for themselves. Because otherwise, why would they consolidate for me if there was no, if the claims ratio was 105%, why would I do it? So 70% means out of every
1: 100 Out of every 100
0: rupees of premium collected, roughly between 70 to 90% should be paid. The cost of distribution will be between 5 to 20%. And there's an administration cost and there's some revenue you make.
1: All right. So if I kind of see that from a simplistic... I feel good... If the claims ratio is 70 to 90 percent. So that means from a profit margin, I mean, if I were to use that word, it's like 10 to 30 is your profit it's a, it's margin. It's a little different from that. I know, I know. Because I'm there is a
0: investment income in India, you have 8% investment income on a long term policy. Please understand, on life insurance about 30 year policy, you're collecting premiums for 30 years and you're paying the claim much later.
1: I was simplifying it. Yeah, In there. a
0: simple manner, my view is 70 to 90 percent of the value of the money should be derived by the consumer. It can never be 100% because then why would anybody do business? Uh,
1: okay. Yeah. All right. Switching gears to Policy Bazaar, you were one of the earliest proponents of doing distribution via people calling up from a call center. It was... I think unfashionable in the early days then you know a lot of people exactly right like and it stayed that way and like I'm sure you have got multiple calls from people or like investors asking isn't it more efficient to do it online via apps etc cetera, etc cetera. so first question is like how many people do you have in your call center today and, and the second of course related is like how is how is, how is your thinking about, around? we have about 5000 people in the call center and we have about 1000 people who
0: are available physically across the country to meet people and, uh,
1: uh, yeah. So has, you, has your thinking on having your own call center, such large call centers, ever changed? No. And I'm very grateful we went down this route. Um,
0: it was not a natural thing for me. Because before this, I had never run call centers. We had one partner who was a specialist at running call centers. And uh, for whatever reason, he decided to exit very early. Um uh, uh, and uh, I, I do not feel good about the fact that that exit happened so early. But he exited up a company about after about five years of it being set up. Uh, and uh, But I think a lot of credit to him. Uh, this was Avnish Avnish Nirjar. A lot of credit to him for having made us think in this manner. Uh, at that time, we hadn't thought too deep about why call center, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, we just did it because he was a specialist in call center, so he set it up naturally.
1: And today, with the benefit of hindsight, how do you... Oh, yeah. It? I'm just grateful that Why? happened. See, I'm asking this because it's counterintuitive for most people. I'll explain. They think it's outdated. Let us say let us say we make 100 rupees okay,
0: in um, revenue. The cost of my call center is about 20 rupees of that revenue. That's the reality. Anybody can, it's a public company, broadly. Maybe 2019, don't hang me for that, but it's in that range. So, it's about one-fifth of my revenue. If I did not have my contact center, I'm talking again about health and life. So, again, people people are very confused, like me. Please understand, Till 2008, I did not understand the health and life business. Today, I'm the largest seller of health and term in this country. The largest, by far and away. Uh, I don't think there's anybody who's even one-tenth of us. Right? So that's a very big thing for something like India. And I'm talking about online, offline, everything. right? And uh, at that time, I did not even know what health insurance and life insurance was. And I think most people are in that mindset. Whether they are investors or whether they are market participants, most people are in that zone that they actually don't understand it. They think it is a bit like motor insurance. In a way, like Sanjeev, that motor insurance comparison, it should do well. That's exactly what policy with our world. And many people think of us still as that. That's what money supermarket is. So even if you look at our international investors, they many times think of us as that. Right?
1: Money supermarket is a
0: UK-based UK guy. It's a UK-based guy. That's what I would say is the biggest platform for motor insurance in the world.
1: Uh, we might be as big or
0: bigger now, but let's let's leave that aside. So I think the difficulty there is it's a very standard product, very well understood product, and price is pretty much the only differentiator. People don't understand that in health and life, When people say, I want a simple product, that's not what the consumers want. Because the consumer wants what's special for me. That's the reality. And that's the consumers need to understand the different plans. They engage. They take two weeks to six weeks to purchase. There's a whole cycle there. And for health and life, my revenue would be between one-fourth to one-third if I did not have the call center. So now, let's come to the mathematics of this. Yeah. Right? For 20% extra cost, I am getting 70% extra revenue. Why? Right? So my, no, let's, let's get to maths of it. Alright. So my return is 3.5x on my investment. So it's, and I'm not even getting to NPV yet. I'm only talking about first year revenue. For for having the contact center, my return on investment is 3.5x. It's not a bad investment, number one. The second thing is, because of this, my sales are triple. Which gives me a lot of leeway with partners. They, they, They find value in us because of that. The last thing, which I did not have a clue about when we started. Please now appreciate, I have voice analytics data not just dynamic of today, but static for the last 15 years. Because we've been recording conversations for the last 15 years, each and every conversation is recorded. And we have claims data for the last 15 years. you realize the value of this? Having each word spoken by the consumers and by our people, and it's because technology has evolved now, and having its linkages to claims and understanding that and thus being able to pick out for the future, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy amount of information in a, in a business, which is totally dependent on information. Right. So not having that, you come as a customer. Are you talking about cataract? Are you talking about diabetes? Are you talking about claims? So <laughs> I'll give you a very simple exa- answer here. We have one particular analysis. I'm, I'm talking at a very superficial level now, and this may not even be true because, I, because I'm a public company. So let me just say. What I'm saying may not be true. Okay. But if a person in motor insurance, which is the most standard product, talks about claims and one guy does not talk about the claims experience, the actual claims ratios are about 30% apart. Now you realize the power of having that ability to talk? Just talk. Talk to me.
1: Sorry, Tell a me about customer it. speaking about yeah, claims. Yeah. So, what is just the correlation there, like, you know, someone who speaks versus someone who doesn't speak? So, ro- could be wrong information, I'm clarifying,
0: so that nobody yeah, in the market kind of sues yeah, me yeah, for this. Yeah, yeah. But about a 30% delta. So uh, that is huge, right? It is, It is. okay, so let me put it this way, I get paid 13%. This is 30%. So this is two and a half times
1: what I get paid. So in a world- i talking about just a single thing. I got it. So, the call center over 15 years has provided me with a wealth of analog information. It has provided me with three times more sales than I would have otherwise got. It has provided me a wealth of data which And th- it's analog information because digital information is there is no way for you to someone check something, someone writes something, you know, in an app. It's no, no, I different also I also, I
0: also track that. Hmm. I also track that. But there is this also, right? And it is because technology is evolving now that everything is capturable. I'll give you a very simple example. The person who goes for the medicals, is it the same voice as the person who did the call? call? We're now not just doing calls bus. Uh, you know, we are now physically meeting people. We are, have video conversations. Uh, roughly 20% of our sales are through video conversations.
1: Are you running a lot of AI? Uh, in order? A huge to- amount
0: here. Huge amount. I would say it is AI with impact and with action. There's no point talking about the AI. The point is it's having impact. And that is why we're talking about reinsurance and insurance and risk and, you know, what we can do on that front. So I think, uh, yeah, a lot of things, we're getting to a scale where it's starting to make sense for us. And... uh, (laughs) I think, I think without that uh, communication, so uh, I would say, okay, who else has built, let us say, online sales in health and life without uh, conversations? Nobody. Now, the second largest, I will not even name them, but the second largest player in the market is building it primarily through video conversations. They're almost a party that nobody's heard of. But they are built. Almost all their sales are through video conversations, and very large platforms or very large companies with lots and lots of customers are not able to build it because that engagement is not there. That that's the reality. You, you need it in this
1: market because, yeah, it's required. That's it. I'll quickly switch to the sports aspect. Yeah. A lot of people say they are into sports. I know you are really into sports. Uh, what's the amount of, like, you, we talked about the fact that you are a runner. I know you're a triathlete. What is the amount of training that you typically do these days and in what sports? So, I think um, roughly
0: about um, 12 and a half, 13 hours in a week on um, endurance sports, mostly running, cycling and swimming. But that's... Um, not because I have any goals or anything. It's
1: just it's just a habit. Yeah, It's become a habit. And if I don't do it, I don't feel you, good about you myself. You did have some, I think, a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you start doing something? In, like, what was it? Like swimming? Or I, something?
0: I I became the master's national champion in swimming. Uh, I'm quite good in cycling. Uh, I'm okay in running. Running was what I started with as a, as a kid. Um, we... As a family, my kids also participate. We win a few triathlon relays and all that stuff. But listen, You train your kids as well. How old are your kids? So I'll tell you, what I wanted to share with you is what I shared with my kids. I said, look, you are first a soul. And the first externality you have is your body. Then you have your clothes. And then you have a house and a car. So let's never go the other way around. Or starting to put
1: car and house before your body. That's a fascinating Or your clothes before theory, your body.
0: Yeah. Because those are things you can change more easily. And they're actually external to you. They're never yours. You will start, one day you will leave the body also. But chances are it will stay with you much longer than anything else. So, solve that. Uh, much before you solve for the car and the house. Right? Because a small I, I give my son this all the time. I said, And guys, don't get me wrong. Look, everybody's everybody. But I tell him, okay, if you had somebody getting off a Rolls Royce, but they were this, you know, really unfit, lousy-looking person, or you had somebody getting off a Maruti, but they were really Milan Soman, which one would you prefer to be? It's obvious. Milan Soman getting out of a Maruti is, according to me, far, far more preferable than somebody really unhealthy getting off a Rolls Royce. I think we should be clear in our priorities. once you have that priority sorted, sorted, to me it's the most important thing besides besides improving your soul and your character, improving your body is the most important thing in life.
1: How old are your kids twenty one and uh, <laughs> nineteen and you train them or no, you train I don't, I don't with train, them? I'm not allowed to train them, man. <laughs> my you, wife. My I've wife, heard uh, that you're competitive with them. and I compete with them. With I compete with them.
0: And I keep discovering things about them. So, you know, if we are racing, uh,
1: they're triathletes. No, so they're
0: triathletes as well. So, let's say in swimming, my daughter is faster than me. But whenever we have a race, she will actually beat me. Okay? She will compete and beat and win. What I noticed about my son was he won't beat me. He'll just stay. But if he gets a much more competitive swimmer than me, then he'll compete and beat. So he's got that little, you know, he's he's considered the guy who's not. But he's he's got that deep respect somewhere. Where he, I once asked him that, you know, why didn't you overtake me? Because we were doing a 10K and I knew he could and he did not. And he used a wrong word. I don't know whether he said, I'm not an asshole. So basically, he says, I'm not going to do that. So it's just,
1: you know? <laughs> i have nothing to prove by yeah by TV. by
0: beating you yeah so and he said i want to make you feel good or whatever i'm just I'm just running along with you so i'm i'm grateful yeah for both the kids and i'm grateful that they at least do some amount of fitness so
1: <laughs> do you see a difference in the way yashish the ceo behaves oh sorry uh, yashish the co-founder and what are you um, chairman no, of the yeah board? yeah chairman yeah. of the board um, because Arvbeer is CEO, behaves versus Yashish the father.
0: No, they're exactly the same.
1: Exactly the same.
0: I, I promise you, they're exactly the same. So I deal with things exactly the same for both. And what is that? If you were to kind of reduce it yeah, to mental like, models uh, of behavior. I like people to understand the depth of things, the uh, the fundamental reason why they are doing stuff. Like today, we were doing a review and somebody was trying to explain to me, this is our profit. I said, I'm not even interested in that. I really want to understand why you're doing it. And, Yes, we will come to the metrics, but let's get the reason right first. And let's not be afraid of hard decisions. Let's not be afraid of anything. But let's do it all for the right reasons and let's not be pretending to anybody else. Right? So let's have no pretenses. Let's be real. Let's at core be fundamentally strong. Uh, I find it odd when people don't work to their potential. But I have found it in myself to live with it. Uh, You know, uh, whether it was my sister, whether it was my... Mother, whether it was my wife, many a times they they leave a lot of potential on the table, and so do I find with a lot of my colleagues. They just leave a lot of potential on the table, and don't work to potential. I've I've just come to in life, everybody will not be the same. So I've I've got it. It pains me. It used to pain me a lot more. Now also it pains me, but I say,
1: let's just keep the peace. What do you tell people when when it comes to thinking about their potential?
0: The potential is also when we talk about a company. You know, you could be, you grow at a certain, so I'll I'll put it this way. When you are doing well, is when you're actually not doing well. And when you're not doing well is actually when you're doing well. Because for most times, when we are under pressure and not doing great, we tend to push ourselves. So suppose, suppose in a month, our growth is zero we would be working extra hard at trying to find that 2% of growth somehow. Suppose in a month our growth is 70% or 80%. We'd be so happy about it that we just leave 5% here and there. That's the reality. And it's about bringing that reality to people. That I think Sanjeev is very good at it because I remember all our board meetings with him, whenever we were excited and happy, he would send us back subdued and whenever we were sad and, you know, we were unhappy with our performance, he would set us back enthused. So, um, but, yeah, that's that's what I get to. Like when, I, when I speak with Sarabjit, also it's the same. Like, I, I, I always tell him that, listen, um, the state you got the business in implies a certain level of growth and profitability anyway. So, the 1,000 crore profit is almost a given. And, and he he knocks me back. He says, yeah, 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 it's it's a given for sure. But the point is that is true. It is what you do beyond that really is a differentiator. Uh, because that additional amount just comes every quarter, month. All you have to do is grow 30%. Now, yeah, that's a challenge. But, but that's because of renewal growth and all that stuff. So I'm just talking financials for a moment. But uh, but there's certain things that are just set in stone. You know, they're, they're, they're just motions happening, right? And getting excited about those things is no value. There's just NPV showing up, which was actually past revenue.
1: Exactly. The, I mean, my analogy would have been that if you're enjoying something today, it's probably because of the hard work that you put in in the past. So what are you doing today to create something yeah, in the future? Yeah, and there's a
0: lot we're doing, but it's very hard to uh, point fingers at, look, this is, so the physical piece that we set up, is all now. I think the biggest thing that we've done in the last two years is actually customer support. You know, what we are hearing is we're now getting a windfall of consumers. (sighs) Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. There's no sudden market turn, right? Uh, Why is it happening? I'm almost feeling like it's that layer of goodwill that has been built where our communication has been at the point of claim, we will help you. At the point of claim, we will help you. And that becoming real which is entirely Surabhi's credit. We did not have that before he joined. The whole physical
1: channel being built out, where we are going and meeting customers to sell to them. This is the roughly thousand people. This is the roughly thousand people. That's entirely. So, so what is this organization? This thousand people, what's their responsibility? To sell. S- sell? See, uh,
0: okay. And also you said customer let explain, support. Let me explain. Let me explain. If a customer comes to you for health or life, why does he come to you? I have done the talking to our guys and figuring out when they come to you. They mostly come when there's a life event that's happened. Either some friend or family has just died or been to hospital, big bill. They've seen the situation. Something has influenced them. Otherwise, it doesn't come to anybody's mind that Policy Bazaar was in the background telling them you should have health insurance. So when this event happens, they say, yeah, that guy was saying something. So let me go to Policy Bazaar. That's precisely why we have a huge amount of direct traffic. Then his questions comes and I'm spending 20,000 rupees. Will these guys actually pay the claim or not? You know. Uh, but it's not. It doesn't Pros- matter whether the it's 20,000. Right? It's the insurance company. No, 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 That's a very important thing. Many times you will believe, yes, it's the insurance company. But, and this is something that is not very well understood all over the world. But actually the client is also the first line of defense against lack of payment of claims. The 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 uh, the distributor. Because he's the interface. So he, he, first of all, he has no interest in not paying the claim because he would like his land to get paid. Plus, he has knowledge about the industry, so he can navigate better. He can, he or she can uh, has relationships with the insurer. And if you have a profitable pool of business with the insurer, your ability to have a fair conversation and get the claim paid is extremely high. We have seen a lot of proof where a claim is denied, but is eventually paid. When we intervene, it's, it's very, very large numbers. Not, not I'm not talking anecdotally about one case. Uh, systematically, that's the case. And almost 10 to 15% higher claim settlement because of that, which is pretty much the gap. Like the gap is about 10 to 15%, right? So I can hand on the heart say we would fight the corner for a consumer like crazy, where we knew there was a genuine claim. Equally, when we from our we also look at our own data and try to figure out, even post facto, if the customer was in any way misquoting, misguiding. And we find lots and lots of stuff. And we report that to the insurance company almost instantaneously. So if you are an honest customer who's declaring fairly with us, you can pretty much rest assured that we will make sure that the insurance company and our partner is fair to you at the point of claim. If you've been dishonest in purchasing the policy, you should be very worried if you bought through us.
1: So what you're doing is trying to incentivize both sides of your platform: better customers yeah. and better insuring part insurers yes. and part.
0: Absolutely, and playing a an active role in the middle in dispute resolution effectively, both with information capture. We're running programs that have not been done anywhere in the world here. You're running programs like uh, Bhima Samadhan. You know what that program is? We go on live television or something, insurance company, us and 20 customers whose claims have been rejected. They come on the platform and they talk to each other. And in that 60% of claims get settled on the spot. Right? We have programs in the company where, see, when will a customer come to us? Only when the claim is rejected. Otherwise, why will a customer come to us? Right? If the claim is happening smoothly, why does he need to come to us? Right, And it's
1: at that point that you come in that's when the customer needs your help the most. In some of your early interviews you've talked about curiosity and confusion being very important. I think you were asked about confidence and clarity and I think you added and say it's very important to be curious and that you know certain amount of confusion that you had about your identity which got clarified over a period of Why is curiosity so important for you? Curiosity is a
0: necessity for first principles thinking. Otherwise, you will always be looking at so and so did this,
1: so I should do this. See, they're doing pattern matching without understanding.
0: Without understanding in depth. So I just don't do that. I uh, will not follow. Usually, I would not just follow unless I have a lot of clarity in my mind. And when I do that, I'll do that openly.
1: Like, I'll give you an example. We're running the corporate business. I don't have the ability to be dishonest. Corporate business implying you selling to companies. So when
0: people ask me, what's your plan for this business? I tell them very clearly, we are learning. We don't know. We think there's a very big market. We think there's a scope for technology. We think there's a scope for a good distributor. We think there is something here. But we do not know. For a public company CEO to be saying, I do not know it's a very big thing. And it's been two and a half years that we've been two one and a half years that we've been running that business. And I'm still saying that. But the most important thing is my employees who are looking for clarity, career clarity, I'm saying the same thing to them also. Right? So there is confusion. When there's confusion, you have to accept it. That yes, there is confusion. We're not sure. But there is no, there's no harm carrying on in that situation. But you need to know. Because when you're driving a car and you don't know where you are, you drive slowly, you drive cautiously. You don't drive at full throttle in that situation. Right? And I think that is where genuine honesty becomes a very big trait. So, uh, I have some of the senior management telling me that, why don't you just say you're committed to this business? Because even today, when I'm talking to you, some of them will come back to me and say, yeah, what, what are you? You went on media and said you're not committed to the business. I said, I cannot say something I don't believe in. Right? And I said, that is my strength, that's my weakness. You know, we are, uh, let's say, honest to a fault. But that's also our strength. If I say something to you, the thing I hate the most is when people are, um, let's say, guessing whether you're speaking the truth or not. And uh, to me, that's the worst thing a person can do to me uh, as a human being, because that is something I hate the most
1: i mean that aligns with policy bazaar and its job of trying to detect who is telling the truth yeah i mean from a yeah so as a leader do you have any tips on how you identify and groom potential leaders you spoke about future potential
0: same uh, same thing here i like to see truthfulness i like to see so the, so the one trait that we classify in policy bazaar is an iota of selflessness and both those words are very carefully used we don't expect you to be selfless all the time. You have to be selfish to survive also and to succeed. And I want people to be smart and selfish also. But at times, you shouldn't be a person who doesn't have the ability to be selfless. And I just don't have the ability at all. I can only think myself. You know, there's some people who will create a hundred rupee loss for the company for one rupee of their own benefit. No, that is something we cannot have. And I know it sounds weird, but that happens all the time in the corporate world, right? And in any part of the world, right? Um, so, we spot that iota of selflessness somehow. And at over 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 a lifetime, you start developing a pattern of matching on that. Uh, when people come into the organization who don't match that profile, very quickly, that gets, like, they stand out like a sore thumb in the organization. And the organization is very harsh on them. Very, very rapidly. It's almost it like a body
1: turning on a foreign agent. That yeah, yeah, it's
0: it. almost like HR doesn't need to get involved. Those people know they are they are outsiders here. And it gets caught up in everything. And we are extremely transparent as an organization. So people almost start calling it out. Uh, and we have... And these are seen in small, small things. Like, you know, uh, we don't have anything like... Um, what time you come into office, what time you don't. But on a day that there's a problem and on the day when you also have a personal commitment, let's say, and depends, right? If your kid is unwell, that's a different issue. But if you're going to see a football match and you've bought a ticket for 50,000 rupees, let's just say, are you able to walk off from that ticket because you have something serious that you need to solve? Right? We look for those kind of things. Uh, and, And we find them. And honestly, the 50,000 rupees doesn't matter in the long term. So we basically look for silly decision making that sometimes people do. And
1: if you're a silly decision maker, you won't last at policy. It's it's very simple. Culture is obviously very important for you. How have you as a founder I like try to, to build and evolve yeah, so your I culture? So I like to explain to
0: people that the biggest traits for success at Policy are long term are going to be patience and trust. Either you trust us or you don't trust us. If you trust us, be patient. At times, it may appear we're not being fair to you. But you show me cases where we have not been fair to people for, let's say, five years, seven years. Show me cases. Look around the organization. See people. See how they have done. And see if we have been unfair to people over a medium to long-term period. Sometimes in the short term, life is never going to be 100% fair. We may not be able to identify everybody. We may not be able to be fair to everyone in the short term. That's why I say before five years,
1: we consider you a new journey. Before five years are over. So be patient. What what is your average retention? Because in the world that we live in today, it's very rare for people to say, I will work for five years in an organization. So
0: medium to senior management,
1: five years, we consider a new journey.
0: So, Sarabjeet's now been about three years. He's new in the system. Just like obviously he's he's gotten involved very rapidly, but that's the that's the thinking. So many people will stand up and say, "Yeah, I'm new to the company," and that's up to about five years. So I'm just giving you the number. The number for us, the cutoff point is about five years. We have more than hundred people who are ten years old. Please appreciate in the entire management team at that time they may have been 150 people 10 years ago like I'm talking about 2013 so maybe 200 people so of them at least half of them are still here and uh, yeah we take um, we take um, great pride that those 100 do well and the fact that others who are patient eventually do well
1: still sticking to culture I'm trying to distill Policy Bazaar's success, longevity, down to elements of its culture. You talked about honesty to a fault. You talked about iota, selflessness. And now you talked about patience and trust. Is there any other value which is very key We work to...
0: with urgency. So, see, while we are
1: patient, hmm, I was just about to <laughs> at say. At the that same right.
0: time, we work with urgency. Uh, so, work with urgency, work with purpose, be. So, uh, how,
1: how, how, I mean, and it, how does an employee reconcile patience and urgency at the same, like?
0: Yeah. So there we are being, being a bit selfish as a company. We're saying, be urgent with your work, be patient for the rewards. <laughs> and and maybe we're being selfish, right? But, but in a way, we know our truth. We're also being honest and telling you upfront that there is no way that. Um, so I'll give you an example, right? One guy, pretty much after the IPO, uh, came here and said, uh, what's in it for me for the future? I said, why? He says, I can get one crore outside. Uh, Out here, my compensation is 65 lakhs. Doesn't add up. I said, how much have you made in the last seven years that you've been here? So he said, uh, yeah, I've made about 20 crore rupees. I said, could you have made that, like you could have, but in general, were you expecting to make that when you joined here? He said, no. But he said, but that's done. So I said, what makes you think that my colours will suddenly change? Or our colours will suddenly change, that we will stop all mechs for you to make money. He, He basically, he's a nice guy. But he didn't have trust. And he didn't have patience. So, he moved on. gone and joined a corporate. I can promise you, five years from now, he'll repent that decision. And I'm not being harsh to him or bad to him. It's just, I just feel bad. I'm, I'm not saying he could have continued here forever. But all I'm saying is, according to me, it was a terrible decision, which I feel bad about. Uh, bad about, not because it hurt the company in any way, but because it's going to end up hurting him. Uh, because life is long and, you know, there's another 15 years of fun ahead. And and of course, we will grow and we will grow in value and employees will make lots again when they add value. But it'll be when they add value. It can't be without adding value, right? And that's where the new ESOP thing that we are going to plan is going to be, you know, market price linked and all that stuff. So that from here onwards, as you add value, you derive a lot of, there's no problem. Nobody's saying that if the company value, just saying over the next five years, let's say, let's say triples, nobody's saying management can't have 10% of it, of the, of the growth. Nobody's saying that. But the point is it can't be that the value would not grow and management would take 10%. That also can't be. That's, a, that's also stupidity, right? So I think as long as somebody's willing to have an honest conversation and a line, we're happy to create. Uh, but sometimes people don't have the patience because they say, it didn't happen today. Those people usually tend to be their own enemies.
1: What is it that you feel you add most value to policy bazaar?
0: I think uh, uh, this piece that we spoke about. Uh, but by the way, I do I do work quite a bit, so there's a lot of operational stuff I do. Uh, which no, no, I mean of not, course I I meant. But 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 real value is this keeping the company. On a straightforward. See, I, I'll put it very simply here. What did I feel bad about after IPO for the first six months? Because people were basically second guessing us, saying what they are saying is not true. Okay. That to me is the worst state I can be in. Right? So I think what the what do you want? What's the difference between public company and private company? In a public company, private company investors have a lot of interaction with the company. In a public company, you broadly need to trust. right? Nobody needs to second guess us. That's the biggest thing. In a way, like nobody needs to second guess InfoEdge. Right? There are companies which you always need to second guess. Because you don't need to second guess. That's the most important thing. And till I'm there, that will stay the thing. You will never need to second guess the company. And a lot of fundamental reasons why companies get destroyed. Culture, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, w- will not happen because I will become uncomfortable with that situation much faster than the company can be allowed to become uncomfortable, com- uncomfortable with it. So hard decisions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, will all get taken whenever they are necessary. I think that's the value I bring, and that's that's very important because eventually we have to survive 20 years. Baaki to company manti raegi, yar. And we have a very, very good team. We are, See, I'm not the only guy who's building the company. Neither am the, I I'm the only guy with the equity in the company. So, we have hundreds of people with equity and alignment in the company. And I think uh, it's the hard work of everybody uh, and the alignment of everybody that will deliver it. But, but uh, my role is that. How do you learn new
1: things today? I'm actually not very good at learning new things. I
0: don't uh, really go out seeking new things. Uh, and, and many people don't uh, see that because they think me do, see me doing a variety of things. Uh, but I've been a runner since I was eight years old. It's not a new thing that I picked up.
1: Uh, okay. I, yeah, how, do you, how do you teach and mentor people in the organization then? See, people in the
0: organization come up with lots of ideas, lots of thought processes, and it's about uh, our framework. Uh and aligning people on that framework that how will we evaluate, how will we look at things, how will we uh build businesses, what's our ethos? Uh, those are the things that we really focus on. And then keeping, then eventually watching the numbers also. It can't be just strategy. See, having a good strategy is okay, but every once in a while you need to see the numbers also. So then holding people honest to the numbers, bring them. That's that's basically senior management's role. here. What else uh, does senior management do? And you know, culturally making sure things are not going of people's interests are not misaligned, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Those are the things that you spend time on.
1: I'm sure you've interviewed hundreds, possibly thousands of people from the time that you started Policy Bazaar. Not really, but okay. Let's let, let's say dozens or possibly at least hundreds. Do you have great open-ended questions that you ask people? No. What are your conversations typically See, I like? don't
0: treat any relationship differently. I had an arranged marriage. Before I went to see my wife, I had already decided I'm getting married. Before seeing her, right? Uh, it was the same. Uh, I I probably
1: got rejected by five six girls, but I did not reject anyone. Okay, that's not my philosophy. I would almost not meet. Is that the reason why you said that you haven't done so many interviews? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you don't do interviews. I don't do too many interviews. I because you don't say no. I don't
0: say no very well, and and not just that, I like to. Like, think about it, right? Who are the senior people we've hired? They're almost all people whom I've known for two, three, four, five years. We're not people who, you know, we don't have, for at least the people I hire, almost nobody is without relationship. Now that's both a weakness and a strength. You can say we're not open-minded to looking at hundreds of people, right? Uh, We've never had a headhunter. We've never had, uh, you know, anything of that sort. Uh, yeah, that is a weakness also. That's a strength also. So, for example, when Sarabir came in, it's not like we had a headhunting firm looking for a CEO, and then we had 20 candidates, and then we narrowed down to three, and then we said, okay, these three are the ones that our board will interview. And basically, the coffee with with Sarabbir. and me requesting him, would he would you consider
1: joining us? Two of you went to IIT Delhi together. He was
0: my senior, but two years, somebody I respect a lot, uh, then and now. And even today we have difficulty because in a way he's my senior. And in a way I am his senior. But we don't behave that way. But point is, yes, we do have...
1: Those dynamics exist. Those
0: dynamics exist, right? But uh, there were very specific reasons because uh, I, I respected him quite a bit. But it was it was almost a tentative conversation where I didn't even know whether he would consider it. And he also said, look, if somebody else would have said it, I may not have even thought about it because I'm doing my thing. But because it's you, give me a weekend. He came back after the weekend and said yes. By now, we had not discussed salary. We had not discussed compensation. By the way, we never discussed it.
1: What was the trigger for it? For you to reach out to him or to bring on board a CEO?
0: We were going public in in a few years. Uh, See, uh, I also wanted to distance myself a bit from the organization. Because please understand, I'm I'm the founder. And as a founder, having worked 13, 14 years with the same team you develop a certain amount of uh, affection which you cannot um, always act on rationally. Uh, so while you have a very good team, you know that, look, however honest you are, you're leaving some gaps because of proximity, because of very deep relations. So I wanted somebody to come in the middle and only somebody whom I could trust so much that it would, it's almost like, you know,
1: an extension. you of- have,
0: you have, Kids, I, I I call it, I, I, that's how I explained to, to Sarbir also. I, I don't know if you've seen that movie, the English movie, The Mom, where this woman is sort of developing cancer and so she needs another lady whom her husband is seeing to come in and manage her children. And how that woman has to develop a relationship with the children uh, while this person is sort of dying in a way, right? And it's a very, very difficult Relationship. So, so the company and the people are like my kids but I also know that I could be harming them by being too close to them and so they need somebody who's probably not as close and who can be a lot more rational and open minded and also bring in new people because also our organization was not very good at bringing in new people. We were getting stuck because I had hired a few new people and at a senior level they would get pushed off because the the, the mafia was too strong if I would use the wrong word, right? But, um, so it was important to bring in somebody who was not part of that. Uh, and so, and, and he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a fantastic guy. I also think he's much smarter than I am, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, although, over, over time, I realized there are a few areas where I can be uh, quite good also. So, I approached him from that perspective. Uh, he, he joined. And uh, I think everything has moved in the direction that, it, that I thought it would. In a sense, because the team took to him very quickly. He's brought in a lot of fresh talent. So I'll give you an example, right? We had a very good, I, <laughs> obviously I said that about myself, let's say level one, level two and level two and a half were very good. But we were struggling to develop level three and level four. I think Sarabh coming in very rapid because people were not moving in that direction. He's He's been able to build level three and level four. He's been able to question. I, I had a massive aversion to physical meetings because I thought too much wrong can be communicated, et cetera, et cetera, and then. Uh, he, he tried those things, right? I come with a very strong bias for what's going to work and what's not going to work. Uh, he doesn't. He's, he's happy to try out a lot of things. So if you think about, you know, physical or, or corporate business or, uh, you know, the claim support, a lot of things he's tried. He's extremely disciplined. So, the way I see it is I was more like a Brazilian football team. He's more like the German football team. Very organized, very structured, will succeed at everything. Maybe a little less passionate about the cause. Credit where it's due, I think I'm very, very passionate about the reason why we exist. By virtue of being a founder as well. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, I think I think also, as a person, he doesn't get very passionate about any... Thing. He's just, he's a little more professional than German team. Yeah, German team. I think German team yeah, is not the team people cry about.
1: You know. <laughs> you said you're also involved operationally and there are lots of reasons
0: where uh, where Sarabir because I've been around for so long and there are very deep relationships uh, all over. There's a deep understanding of uh, so when we and Sarabir speak, we say, okay, when it's a one-year thing, it's almost all Sarabir. When it's a five-year matter, it's almost all me. But then we both dabble in each other's areas. Uh, so yeah, there is, there is a regulatory uh, side where I have, we, we we've evolved with regulation over the last 15 years. So there's a very there was at least, although his his understanding now is becoming almost better than mine. Uh, but there is obviously a pretty deep understanding of how that part of the world works and uh, yeah, it's just that. But but increasingly, those are becoming less and less and increasingly, his is becoming much uh, more.
1: You said you're a huge fan of first principles. This podcast is literally called First Principles. What are some of your favorite first principles or mental models when you're faced with big, significant decisions that aren't easy to make?
0: The thing about first principles is there are no models. <laughs> mm. There is, uh, you you start, off, start. you start, start, you start with whatever the information is in front of you. Uh, what is your right to win? Uh, what are the things that will make you win in a particular activity? Do you have the ability to, be, like let me talk about policy. The moment we got to health insurance, very rapidly, I came up with two things. This requires deep Communication to the customer, because the customer is not going to buy easily. This is not a simple product, it's a low trust product. So it will require a lot of customer support in a way. The most critical element in this is risk. So high disclosure is very, very important. This is something we understood back then. 2009, I remember my first meeting with Apollo, Munich. Uh,
1: uh, A company which does not exist today with the same name.
0: Yeah, which became HDFC Ergo, but was the second largest health insurer in the country, till it got sold. Uh, I remember my meeting with the chief and he said, why should we work with you? Uh, I said, we would be able to get you better disclosure. He said, his view was, we would not get better disclosure. So I had filled up a form the day before. And um, I showed him the form that had been filled by the agent. Uh, And it said my weight was 72 kgs, while it was actually 96. When Palshiva started, my weight was 96 kgs. So I showed him that form. I said, does my weight look like, if you ask me my weight, will I ever say 72? And uh, so I said, there is almost no disclosure. The disclosure is just to make sure I don't go through a medical. Right. But this thinking of lack of disclosure in the physical channel was very deep back then. And what was the fundamental truth here? The fundamental truth is if there are recorded conversations, they will almost always be better at disclosure than unrecorded conversations. And that was my aversion to physical meetings. If you really think about it. And why do you not want to have physical meetings? I still remember, I still remember uh, the conversation where we said we should have physical sales. I, and the guy asked me, why don't you have it? And I said, the guy does not carry a video recorder with him. And so it's an opaque conversation which I know nothing about. So why should we do it? Right? So I think lots of such mm, principles on which you basically go and hang your hat. You said these are so true that...
1: You know, then after that, it just takes energy and execution. You spoke about right to win. Tell me a bit more about that. What is right to win? If you are going to be
0: better than, I, I don't want to use the word best, uh, but I don't know why I should not use the word. But let me just say, if you're going to be better than average at your quality of business and your quality of business. See, what are the two biggest issues in insurance? Customer did not understand what he was sold insurance company did not understand the risk they took on. Those are two biggest issues. If you are better than half the industry or the average of the industry in that, that's your right to win. And if you are fundamentally better than them, fundamentally, and even if they wish they cannot be better, then you have a right to win. It is is really that simple, right? That even if, because as they call it, my mother used to call it Sanjay Ki Gheer. It's not one person who's making the problem, right? It's So everybody will say, why should I be the Bhagat Singh? And suddenly start doing honest business. Because that won't change the industry. Right? So in that kind of situation, if you are the one who has the longevity of thought, if because of fundamental reason, because it's a brand, you're not uh, a person who can disappear. Right? That's your weakness also. That's You have to understand your weakness also. We, what is the weakness here? You cannot do anything wrong. See, an agent can. Although it is said that it is not allowed, but cashback happens in the market. I can't do it. I'm not cash allowed. Back to, being if you're buying a policy, I can't give you 500 rupees back. While if you buy it offline, that does happen. The reality is, it does happen. The lots of advantages the physical channel has, right? Which the digital channel does not have. So digital channel has to understand its strength. Its strength is not in doing cashbacks because at scale, if I do, if I start doing cashbacks, it will be reported to the regulator in two days and my license will be cancelled. Right? So being under that stringent regulation, being under that eye of the, also has a strength. What is that strength? The strength is you having to be honest and you're having to keep records. You're having to display records. A customer can come and ask me seven years later, 10 years later, 12 years later, that give me the records of my sale. It was a requirement and having a physical transcript of it has been a requirement since we started. So all of that is a huge advantage and we have to make that our right to win. That's become the right to win. And the second reason for right to win is if you are the one who's educating the whole market on this stuff, then many of those people, when the event happens, because it's not, it's not a pleasure purchase. So it's not like, come, come buy an ice cream right now. You'll feel very good. Come buy this pair of jeans and you'll look very good in it. This is buy this thing in the next 20 years. If shit happens to you, then you won't have as bad an impact as you could have had. Who wants to do that? It's tough. And the only time you'll do it is when you see stuff happening to somebody. Right? So, that's a very, and you have to understand this basic. And so in that, if you're the one who's educating everybody about it, you're not getting an instant gratification, nobody's coming to you immediately to buy. But the point is, when that event happens, they'll come to you. And thus, you will start building direct traffic, direct traffic, direct traffic, which is the only way to have a profitable business. So both of those become your right to win. Your direct traffic, and your better disclosures. And oddly enough, we luckily managed to get a good call center operation as well, which helps you convert more and that becomes your third right to win if you would.
1: Just the last couple of questions. What are the three, two or three most common adjectives people in Policy Bazaar might use to describe you?
0: And the same that I describe for myself. So I think they would say um, Honest to a fault, very passionate. Uh, I think uh, those two would be there. There's a thing here which my daughter, when she was about four years old, drew for me, and uh, that has all the adjectives.
1: Uh, I can see intelligent. Those are okay. On time, swimmer, sporty. Receiving? Deceiving. Deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> she's written that uh, then because
0: there must be some uh, chocolate or something she may not have got. <laughs> but she's an intelligent girl. So, uh, But if you think about not very different. Yeah, She's written untidy, <laughs> intelligent, independent, independent, on time, determined. You see a lot of mathematics in there, sporty. Yeah. she's used word like important which she did not write you know so the I is starting with a small one straightforward just see how many times straightforward kind uh, you know those kind of words appear it's it's a pretty good reflection what she's written so these these stay I must share this with you these have stayed in this company pretty much from when the company started
1: I can imagine because you said that she was four years old she's 19 now and she
0: was was four years old and these have always stayed in my room. And these nobody's ever rubbed them out. So, And a lot of people use this room. So anybody can just rub these out also. right? But uh, it's not written that you don't need to rub it out. So that is a deep part. So what I have given up for setting up Policy Bazaar is actually family. And I think a lot of people understand that. They don't say it, but a lot of people here actually understand that.
1: That this guy actually stayed away from family for 13-14 years. So that was my next question. How, how would you rate yourself how do you rate your performance as, as a, a founder ceo and as a parent
0: so um, as a founder ceo i think we've done quite well
1: and uh, i mean on a as, a, as a as a parent 10, how do you rate on a yourself? on
0: a founder ceo i would say probably i would actually say 8 on 10 i probably could have raised funds at higher valuations in the past and um, whether I should have or not, I don't know. But I do believe I under I underplay our organization a bit. And so many founders do that much better than me. Um, I don't need to be that much better, but I need to be a little better than I am.
1: Uh,
0: and as a parent? As a parent, it's a very difficult one because the kids have turned out well. But I think a lot of the credit of that will eventually go to my wife, who's actually been there with them. right? Uh, and uh, at least my son says so. so. So I'll tell you, my daughter says, I'm a better parent. My son says, I'm not there when when I'm required. So, and and my mother's always, you know, he always says that mommy's always been there. So, uh, yeah, there is a, uh, and he does send me on a guilt trip once in a while on that. So, uh, there, is, there is that aspect. But I always try to be connected to them. And I think we are very connected. The fact that we all run, cycle, and swim is testament to that. Uh but yeah, I, I I wasn't there to drop them to school all the time or pick them up and you know all those things. Uh and Shika had to be the only parent, and she had to also work. Because please appreciate, in the first six months when policy was set up, I was on dole. We didn't have money. So this is not a rich person who set up a company. We didn't have anything. So Shika had to, she had two kids and she had to. Uh, she was a single parent and she had to return to working. She's an in she had graduate, but she was not working before that. She had to start working at a bank. Uh, so I think she's had a very, very tough life. Uh, and I think clearly she's been the parent, you know. And uh, uh b- but yeah, that's that's how it is. But I think I think I, I give them very good, um, I, I, I give them very good uh advice while being count, kind.
1: Uh, so yeah, I think I think I've been a decent parent as well, but I've not been there all the time. It's it's interesting that you use the word kind because it's not a word which is used very commonly in modern professional life, kind or kindness. So it's it's actually quite refreshing because my son pointed out to me one day uh, when we were talking about some teacher, and he said that this teacher is very kind. And I'm like, it's not an adjective that you hear a lot in professional settings. We don't describe people as kind. So one of the sentences I use very, very often in Policy Bazaar, very, very often, whenever we're making
0: any decision is kind is better than right. It's a, it's a thing I use all the time. So anytime I get, let's say a, 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 an employee mail or a customer mail or anything, and I respond to it internally, almost always I say, and remember, kind is better than right. Because in a decision, you can sometimes be too right and too unkind.
1: Uh, Yeah, obviously, there's a balance. There's a balance between the two. Kind is better than right is a lovely thought to end the interview with. Thank you so much, (laughs) Yesheesh. Thank you.